we are in a series where we are learning what it means to untangle Christmas. And we began last week with a confession that life is messy. Amen? Now, I know that that must have landed last week because I had an incredible amount of feedback from last week saying how acknowledging that our families are messy really connected with everybody. So if you're a guest here today, you need to know that you're in a messy church because we all come with stuff, don't we? And we begin looking at this because what we're saying is that Christmas has a way of highlighting or putting a microscope, a spotlight onto the mess that already exists in our lives. There's something about the Christmas season that seems to enhance, um, ratchet up this feeling. And so if you already feel like your family's a mess, your situation's a mess, you've made a mess of the world, whatever it is, Christmas seems to magnify it, doesn't it? So when everybody else is singing joy to the world, you're wishing that was something that you could claim. When it seems like everybody else is having perfect family time together, you realize that is not going to be with you. Or perhaps it's a first Christmas without someone. Maybe it's a first Christmas following a divorce. And you just have this sense that it's all tangled up. And so we're using this image of these Christmas lights that, that are up here that just, you're not even sure how it got tangled up sometimes. And it's just a big ball and it's a mess. And it seems like they have their own mind about them. And even though you stored them neatly in the attic, 365 days later you pull them down and it's just not good anymore, is it? So, I'm going to change a greeting because I can do that. This is now no longer Merry Christmas, but we're going to say Merry Xmas. Because we're just acknowledging it's a mess. And so as we go through what God has to say for us, I want to encourage you, if you come today or you're joining us online today, either way, you realize that, you know what, my life is a mess or my situation is is a mess. This is a story, this is a message for you. Christmas is for you because Christmas is messy. The first one was messy, but what you need to understand is throughout this entire series, we're going to focus on this one dynamic truth, and that is this. The miracle of Christmas is that Jesus joins us. Now catch the next part. Not at our best. Not when we're dressed up on Sunday. Not when we've been able to stay away from our addiction for six months. Not when we've made a week full of great decisions. Not when our job, our career, our family, our health is all going up and to the right. No, Jesus joins us not at our best, but in our mess. This is the miracle of Christmas. This is what Scripture proclaims. There is no other message to, to Christmas other than in the middle of what is messy about you, what's messy about me, what's messy in your family, Jesus 
steps in. God shows up. That is what Christmas is all about. And so we started the look last week and we said he comes in our messy families. And we're using a particular nativity. Nativity is the story of Jesus. And you often hear it referred to as a nativity scene. Well, it's a nativity story. And not going today or yesterday or last week to Luke, because Luke has the pretty pictures about Christmas. We're going to Christmas at Matthew's house. You ever been to somebody else's house for a holiday or a tradition? And once you arrived, you realize that's not how we celebrate Christmas. That's not how we do the holiday. I remember I was a young youth minister in Abilene, and one of the families of our church, it was one of these extended families where there was like three and four generations of people in the family, and over this family was a matriarch. And she just kind of ruled the roost. And, and this family, all the cousins and all, everybody tied to it, Every week, they had family dinner. And now, I don't mean they just got around a table. I mean, like, they went out to a restaurant. It was a big deal, and this happened weekly. And one time, I got invited to family dinner. And this was awesome, because I was a young guy. I was broke, and when they did family dinner, it was usually at a steakhouse. Okay, so I got to enjoy this, and I love this family. It's a great family. But I didn't understand the rules of family dinner. Because this is not how my family dinners worked. The matriarch sat at the head of the table, and at some point in the meal, almost as if on cue, her husband was sitting right next to her, and he was kind of at the next, right around the corner of the table, and he pays her a compliment. And I thought, how sweet. And then the next person paid her a compliment, and then a cousin paid her a compliment, then a grandchild paid her a compliment, and it's just going around me, and I haven't caught on yet. That there's a pattern here. And so it comes right up to my right. They pay a compliment. And I'm just sitting there because I'm still enjoying my steak. Everybody looks at me. And they wait. And I've got to bite my mouth. And finally I realize part of family dinner is paying honor to the matriarch. So I quickly saw it and I said, and you're wonderful too. <laughs> and they went on. We're going to Matthew's house for Christmas. And Matthew's story is a messy story. He doesn't tell the story the same way that Luke does. Luke has the pretty pictures. Matthew has different pictures. And so, with that in mind, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. So I want you to go ahead and find that. But as you're turning there, I want to put a backdrop to this story that you need to understand. This culture is what sociologists would refer to as an honor and shame culture. This would have been very prevalent throughout this part of the world. And we don't live in the same kind of honor-shame culture today. So as we hear this, we hear this with a different set of years. But let me help you understand the honor-shame culture just for a moment. Because the honor-shame culture is different than ours because we are more aligned with what would be called an innocence 
or guilt culture. And you will hear this in some of our very deeply held expressions, innocent until proven guilty. And in our laws, if somebody is innocent and there's somebody next to them that's guilty, the guilt of one person does not pass on to the next. We, we don't try somebody, so even if there's a horrible crime committed, we don't go and arrest the parents of somebody that committed a crime. And so we have more of this innocent guilt, and it's all kind of muddy right now, I admit, but they had a very clear honor-shame culture. And what you did in an honor-shame culture is you worked towards honor, and you avoided shame at all costs. And this was collective. So it wasn't just your honor, your behavior, your actions. It was all those associated with you. And so there would be all these extending rings of influence that would go out. And so it was you and your family and your community. And in this case, your synagogue, your, your um, religious group, your church that you were part of. And if you, and it didn't have to be breaking just a law, but anything that brought negative report back onto yourself or the family was to be avoided at all costs. In fact, Paul gets into this a lot when you get over into Philippians. And he talks about Jesus, who was God, didn't hold on to God. Didn't feel like it was something to be grasped. Instead, he made himself nothing, becoming a man, becoming a servant, even a servant that died a death on the cross. And so what he's doing is he's challenging that honor system and saying Jesus actually moved the opposite way down the honor system. So this was very ingrained in them. And so with that in mind, think of the shame that would have come with this. And I use shame very intentionally. Because when it's just guilt, guilt says, I did something wrong. I did a bad thing. Shame tells you, I am bad. And we have a culture that wants to shame, and they would have understood that at this time. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Now Matthew's going to tell his story, and this is an unexpected story. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded. He took Mary home to be his wife. He did not consummate her mar their marriage 
until she gave birth to a son, and they gave him the name Jesus. Do you hear the shame in that? Do, do you hear the mess in the middle of that? I, can you put yourself for a moment in Joseph's place? And you are a respected man in town. You're a businessman in town. And the word about you is that you are honorable. You are righteous. And he even proves it in the story. And then Mary comes to him. And Matthew doesn't mix too many words. He says, I mean, look, look what he says. He says, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to him. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. Now, just for a moment, think about that awkward conversation. Think about Joseph and Mary, if they had the ability to text, we need to talk. Yes, dear, about what? Just meet me tonight. And somehow, some way, Mary has to open her mouth and say, I'm self. But that doesn't take any of the consequences away of this. And so Joseph's wrestling with this. And you know it weighs on him because here's shame now on him. Here's shame that's being brought to him. And if he were to continue with this, what he's doing is he's giving credit, credence to the shame. It's almost as if he's putting his blessing on it and his approval on it. This is tearing him up. And Matthew even tells us what his plan was. It says that he was faithful to the law, but yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace because that would have meant more shame heaped on her. Now, he's got a clear option right now. He can cut ties. Nobody's going to blame him. In fact, this is what everybody in his circle around him is advising him to do. He can cut ties, but he doesn't want to expose her to the disgrace of it because he realizes that's simply more shame. He really does care for her, but he is caught. He's got a value system and a messy situation, and he can't figure out how to make them work together. And so, in a dream, it says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because they, he will save people from their sins. So I want to talk about what the angel says to Joseph in the, midst, in the midst of this mess and see if there's not the message here for us to untangle. Now, David. Joseph, son of David. Now, the first thing I want you to understand is that when God shows up in your mess, he knows who you are. He calls you by name. You may think that nobody else knows who you are. God knows who you are. And he shows up and says, Joseph, son of David. Son of David is not Joseph's dad. 
Son of David is a reference to King David, which maybe you've heard of before. King David is a historic figure that's legendary, especially in the people of God. And if they think of any time that life was great, now, there's some faulty memory in there, but if they think of the best time, if you're going to go back and when do we, how do we make Israel great again, you go back to King David. He was the one that all their legends are about. He was the hero. He was the man after God's own heart. And so when, when he says, Joseph, son of David, he's doing something very specific. And so this Christmas, I want you to understand that God reminds you of your true identity. That, that's what the angel's doing. God is showing up and saying, saying, Joseph, son of David. And he's accurate. If you go back through Joseph's line, you go back generation after generation after generation, and it goes back to this king of David, and he's saying, you are a child of the king. Now I want you to live like it. I want you to start this whole process in the middle of this mess, understanding who you are. And so what God would tell us today is that whatever your mess looks like, you are a daughter of the king. You are a son of the king. You are a child of the king. Find your identity there, not in the shame of whatever mess you're in. Once again, shame doesn't say, I did a bad thing. Shame says, I am something bad. And we need to hear this message. Because our culture is sending out a completely different message. Culture will bait you right up to the edge of a mistake. And then when you trip over some line, you misspeak a word. You get hooked in an addiction. You break a relation. Whatever it is, culture is there then to shame you and cancel you because it thinks it has you. And yet there's a God that loves you that says, I will join you in that mess. And the thing that I want you to hear as I join you is not for you to run and hide from me. Not out of fear. Because I'm coming to remind you that you're a child of royalty. That's who you are. Quick reference to last week. In your messy family, maybe this will help. Every bit of your messy family is a child of the king. You're in the presence of royalty. That's who you are. And and our culture so wants us to find our identity in so many other places. It wants to find it in what we've accomplished, what we've accumulated, what our success rate is, what our sexuality is. There's all these other ways that the culture is saying, find your true identity here. And they're all going to fall short of being a child of God. The first thing that the angel says is, Joseph, you're a son of the king. Then he goes on. And he says this. He says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. 
Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What is conceived, what is happening here is from the Holy Spirit. And so this Christmas, in the middle of all the Mass, I want you to know that God is reminding you that the Holy Spirit's at work. And I find this an incredibly underrated perspective of the Christian faith. Followers of Jesus still think that it's all up to them and they've got to somehow grit it together and work harder and not realize that God has sent His Holy Spirit to be with us. All through the Scripture, God is moving towards us. This is why even in the Old Testament you get in the famous Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. He's in the middle of the mess. Jesus comes, the ultimate symbol of God moving our direction. This is why our theme verse is Emmanuel, God with us. We'll get to that in just a second. And then after Jesus has completed his mission, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. The Holy Spirit is at work. You have access to supernatural presence and ability in this world. And the Holy Spirit is at work. Paul tells us in Romans that all things work towards good for those that believe in him. What that verse does not promise is that all things will always be good. But what it's saying is that even in the messiest situations, God can still reach in and do his redemptive work. In your mess, God can do his redemptive work. In the shame that Joseph was going to assume in standing next to Mary and continue to be her husband and raise this child that's not his. God was going to do his redemptive work. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life for all of those who claim the name of Jesus. And so easy in our mess to forget that. Because maybe you created your own mess. But you have a God that is standing with you in the middle of it. Eager to work. Last thing's this. He says, Do not be afraid, take Mary home. Because what is in here is conceived from the Holy Spirit, and he ends with this She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So what's the angel doing in that very moment? Do you, do you see what he's doing? He's saying, Joseph, here's the start of the story. And it starts messy. I want you to take Mary home. I want you to be her husband. And then he gives a picture of what the end of the story is going to look like, right? He will save his people from their sins. This is the mission, this is the purpose, this is the vision of what Jesus has come to do. And so this Christmas, in the middle of your mess, God is reminding us that he is in control of the end of the story.
It is so easy to get caught up in this chapter of the story that you're in right now. Because it's all this right in front of us. But God's in control of the end of your story. If you will let him be in control of the story. But the truth is, God's not going to fight you for control of the story. If you want to write the own, your own ending to the story, he will let you do that. This is why the angel is saying, here's what I want. Let me give a vision for you for the end of the story. And Jesus will save his people from the sins. This is how this child that's bringing you so much shame and discomfort and awkwardness in your family right now, this is how this child is going to change. Here's the end of the story. In fact, you may, may be aware of this. Jesus is a Greek way of saying Joshua. Joshua is, if you've heard it named for Yeshua in Hebrew, it means God saves. That's what the name Jesus means, God saves. Joseph, I want you to understand this child is going to be the proof that God steps in and saves. And you can live victorious knowing the end of the story. Have you ever watched a sporting event? In tape delay, I mean, you watched, you watched a re- replay of it or something, knowing how it came out that you saw live the first time. I watched the 2006 Rose Bowl, which many will cite as one of the greatest college football games being played. It was between University of Texas and University of California, uh, USC Trojans. And the USC Trojans were so dominant that year that at the very beginning of the year, they were predicted to win it all. ESPN embedded a news crew with them to follow them the whole year. And it was a storyboard, I mean, a story uh, season for them. So they, they come into the national championship, number one, to play at the Rose Bowl, but they're going up against the University of Texas and Vince Young. If you watch it, it was a great... Great game back and forth, but with a minute 54 seconds left, Texas is down 33 to USC's 38. Minute 54, they get the ball somewhere around the 40 on uh, their own 40. And they begin the final drive because the clock's running out. Two plays later, they're now 3-12. and 12. They have not advanced the ball. They then are able to advance the ball down. They get down to somewhere in 20 seconds left, and they're somewhere down near the 10, and they're trying to punch it in. And they just can't get it. In the fourth down, Vince Young snaps the ball, looks back, tries to find a receiver. The play was supposed to be a pass. He doesn't find a receiver and begins taking off what he does so well and shoots for the corner of the end zone. Crossing the line. 39 to 38. A Texas win. Now, when I saw that, and it's, I'm not a huge football fan, but that's one of the games that I saw being played out live. I wasn't present, but I was watching it on, on TV live. It, 
it was an incredible thing to watch and see that. Because every time somebody got, you know, it's like, oh no, they've burned another down. Uh-oh, they're, they're two yards back from where they started. It was just nail-biting, and then the victory that came at the end of it. Now, when I go back and watch that on YouTube, or if you go back and watch that on YouTube, do you think I sweat one minute, one second, when he doesn't advance the ball on the first two downs? No, because I know the end of the story. God is in control of your story. And the proclamation of Christmas and all through Scripture is that Jesus is victorious. Will you let Jesus be the author and perfecter of your faith and your story? Because honestly, and I'm not trying to minimize whatever chapter and season of life you're in right now, but honestly, compared to that This is just one more down. Because the victory is assured. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter whether the economy's up or down. It doesn't matter if everything's going your way right now or not. There is a victory that is coming because Jesus is Lord. God with us. That is the promise of the last verse that I'll share with you. Verse 22. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. See, he's writing the story. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. God with us. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray a prayer for your mess. And as I pray over you, if you want to receive this and have a conversation with God, I'm going to give a couple of moments of silence for you to be praying. My encouragement is to offer God your story. Whatever it is right now, however shameful you feel about it, and let Him have that kind of control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Joseph. Thank you for one that you came to in the middle of a shameful mess. And you untangled, Father. Father, remind us who we are in your sight. Remind us that your Holy Spirit is with us here and now and that you have control of the end of the story Father I pray for each person here, each person join us online that you would hear each person we offer up whatever mess is right now for us Father Father, you've promised.
that you would be with us. You gave proof by sending Jesus. You sealed the relationship with your Holy Spirit. So now, Father, we long for the day when you come again and all is made right and the messes are no more. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song. If there's anything that we can do for you, if we can minister to you in the middle of your mess, we'd love to know. Also, if you want to send me a text message and let me be praying for your mess, I'd invite that as well. Let's stand. Let's worship, please.